In 2015, you should know by now that we have been engaged in a uh, series this year called Walk Worthy of Your Calling. And this series has intended to remind us not just who we are in Christ, but also how we are to walk. And as we look at our calling individually, collectively, uh, as a body of Christ, we have endeavored to apply the things which we've been called to. The, the theme for this uh, particular series for this year comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, encourage you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And we've, we've taken that on in a number of different aspects, and I'm very excited. This morning, we are starting a new series entitled Walking Like Jesus. And we are going to be in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we're going to look very specifically at the principles and the practice toward which Jesus called his followers, his disciples. That's us. If you have put on Christ in baptism, you're in a daily journey to become more like Christ and to walk more like him. Now, our theme verse for this series is 1 John. I realize this is not in the Sermon on the Mount. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1. I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, where the apostle of love said, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. I am not sure if you have ever uh, seen one of these signs, or maybe you've been asked this question. Uh, but for a while, on 135, there was a giant billboard that had been purchased by some group, I don't know. And in giant, must have been four or five foot tall letters, was the question, what would happen if you died tonight? And the, the answer, of course, is that, you better be ready for what could happen if you died tonight. And, of course, they have a website and a phone number that you could call to prepare for eternity. Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I can remember when I first became a Christian, I was so worried about what would happen if I died tonight. Or what if Jesus came back and I wasn't ready to face eternity. I hadn't put him on as Lord in baptism. I had repented of my sins. I, I wasn't ready to face eternity. It's a scary question. If you're not prepared. But this series is not directed at people who would be worried about answering that question. The better question for us is not what if you died tonight. As I'm going to assume that most people sitting here this morning are in Christ, have a relationship with Christ. But the better question might be to ask, what would happen if you live tomorrow? How would your life be any different? How would Christ be shown in you? How would he be glorified in your life? When we come to the Sermon on the Mount, we are getting to a teaching where Jesus went up on the side of a mountain and he talked to his followers about what happens next. When you decide to follow him, what happens? How does life look Different. How does my walk look different? And so hopefully that's what we get from this series 
is an encouragement to walk like Jesus did and to become more like him as his daily followers. If we're going to begin walking like Jesus, as 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 encourages us to do, what we have to be able to ask is, are we thinking like Jesus? If we, if we think about uh, the old uh, WWJD bracelet, the question was, what would Jesus do? The difficulty with that four-word question is the fact that Jesus had circumstances, or we have circumstances that Jesus didn't likely face directly. So how can we ask, how can we go into the Bible and say, what would Jesus do? In Matthew chapter 5, verses 7, chapters 5 through 7, help us to understand how Jesus thought. And when we understand how Jesus thinks, then when we come to decisions in our lives, we'll be able to make choices and choose paths that would be exactly what Jesus would choose if he were in the same situation. It's a, it's a hard thing to ask, but it's an important thing to ask. How did Jesus think? Uh, the Beatitudes, if you want to think about it like this, are Jesus' way of thinking. And they're a very different way of thinking. If, if you're turning in your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12. This will not be on the screen, so if you want to follow along and learn how Jesus thought, this would be a good time to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, reads this way. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they, shall become com- they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the persecu- those who are persecuted Because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, because in the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you. It doesn't take but a cursory reading of the Beatitudes to understand that if you are in Christ, if you are his treasured possession, then you are, well, I know Justin Abraham's not here today, but if Justin Abraham was here and you saw him and you asked the question, hey, Justin, how are you? How would he answer? Exactly. If you are his, then you are Blessed. Now, this is a very unique word that Jesus uses. 
And most of the time when you hear people explaining what this means and why Jesus chose to start his sermon in this way, you say, well, Jesus is just saying happy. Just be happy. Just be happy. Christians ought to be happy. And I do agree with that, but I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. Happiness is uh, much more shallow than blessedness. So what does blessed mean exactly? If we take the word happy and we put it into the Beatitudes, some of them start to uh, cease making sense. Uh, Happy are those who mourn. You go to the funeral of someone who and they have just lost their spouse of 40 or 50 years and you go up to them and say, well, just be happy. No, that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Happy who are those who are persecuted. I don't know if you've ever been persecuted for being a Christian, but if you haven't been persecuted for being a Christian, you're probably not much of one. Are you happy when you're persecuted? Are you happy when you endure that? No. No one is. We're blessed. We have to understand that there is a difference between what blessed means and what it does not mean. I don't know if you can see that. We might turn off those uh, uh, fluorescents up above. This might help see it just a little bit. But we understand that the left side of the screen is our circumstantial, external, changing emotions and conditions of our lives. There are times when we are happy, healthy, wealthy, and trouble-free. But let me pause and tell you that Jesus never promised that those who follow him would be happy, healthy, wealthy, and trouble-free. Jesus never promised that because those circumstances, those emotions, those things are changing external conditions. Blessed means... It's an inward, deep, constant, unchangeable joy that we have no matter what. It is an internal condition, independent of our external circumstances. The left side of the screen, those things come and go. You might have happiness today when you came in and you went to your Bible class and, boy, they had a a wonderful breakfast spread. And you thought, man, I'm happy now. You may have come to your class and they had nothing for breakfast. And you were angry. You were hangry. Blessedness. A happiness comes and goes, but blessedness never changes. Happiness, the left side of the screen, health and wealth and trouble-free. Those things are temporary, but blessedness is timeless. The left side of the screen, those are temporary conditions But blessedness, once you're in Christ, your condition never changes. What he's another way of what he's saying here. You are blessed if you're happy, healthy, wealthy or trouble free. But you're also blessed if you're sad, sick, poor and troubled. That your condition doesn't change just because the world around you does. Let's go Old Testament here for a minute. Uh, Go to Lamentations chapter three. Lamentations chapter 3. By the way, Lamentations not a very happy book, uh, as you might guess from the title. And it, we go through chapter 3. It's just uh, all of these lists of reasons to complain, reasons to be bitter. And you know people like that, right? They just have, no matter what happens, uh, they are the Eeyore in your life. Woe is me. 
Lamentations chapter 3, we're in the Eeyore chapter, and look what he says here, verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet, I call this to mind, and I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I will say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him. It doesn't matter how long your list is. What matters is how big your Lord is. He can handle everything. That doesn't mean that you're going to walk out of here and your external circumstances are going to change. You are like a little boat on the ocean seas. And it's out there and it hoists the sail up and the water is as smooth as glass. The the sun is bright and shining. The, The sky is blue and wonderful and clear couldn't get any better and it's smooth sailing but all of a sudden the storm clouds roll in the thunder starts to roll the lightning crashes the wind picks up and the waves you think they're going to capsize your little boat you see the difference between a person who does not know christ And a person who does know Christ is not that our boats won't have storms it's that those who are in Christ have cast their anchor deep below the surface, deep, far way down below the turbulent waters into the rock that does not move and will not be moved. And that little anchor holds that little boat. No matter what happens, we are held secure. We understand. We call this to mind. This I have hope. This gives me boldness in my walk. When we talk about The Beatitudes, we're talking about an understanding, a condition of the mind, which helps us to understand that no matter what happens on the outside, I'm secure, I'm held fast, I'm anchored on the inside. This is how the psalmist would say, Psalm chapter 55, verse 2, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. What does this mean on a practical level for the disciple? This means you're blessed when you have children and a young family that's growing. And and some days you're not sure if they'll make it to adulthood, but you're blessed. But you're also blessed if you lose a child. You're also blessed if you can't have children. You're blessed when the doctor gives you the report that you are cancer-free. The hair begins to grow back and your health begins to come back. But you're also blessed a day one of chemotherapy. And day one when you go up to Mayo for a surgery. You are blessed when you have successful open-heart surgery. That you are blessed as you wait upon a heart To go into your body. You are blessed on day one when you start that new job that you've been given. And it's a wonderful 
new blessing for your family, but you are blessed on the day you walk in to your boss and he hands you a pink slip. You are blessed whether you rejoice, whether life couldn't be going any better, or whether you are having tears for your food and drink, morning, day, and night, asking God how long. Turn to Romans chapter 8. This tells us this quite clearly. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Doesn't sound like a happy situation. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is why Paul could later write... Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're facing, but I know the one who faced it all and who loves you and cares for you deeply. We have the promise when Jesus says we are blessed that no matter what happens, we win. We remain victorious. We overcome. Now, you'll notice that of all the eight Beatitudes, Jesus began, as we said, every word with blessed. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He didn't say the poor in spirit will be blessed. There's a lesson here for us in that. The lesson is in the Beatitudes and in our walk with Christ, the blessing comes first. When you're in Christ, the moment you came out of the water... Your soul, your sins were washed away. Your soul was redeemed back to God and you were blessed. In spite of all the things that were coming after you, in spite of all the troubles you would have, in spite of everything that you had yet to face, you were blessed. You were secure. You were anchored. Your hope gives others hope. The poor in spirit then are richly blessed. The mourners find joy and the meek inherit the earth. The lesson then is this. If blessing comes first, then we have to choose to live from the blessing and not for the blessing. Do you understand? The the, the religious list-minded mentality says this. If I do A, B, C, then God will do X, Y, Z. I just punch my code on a little eternal ATM. And if I punch it just right, all the blessings come out. That's not what Jesus says. He's saying, since God has done these things, then I now respond. For Christians who live in life, our goal is to live a life worthy of the one who called us. Not because of what we do, but because of what he did. You understand that? We live from the blessing. 
We understand that when we stepped into Christ, he had given us every spiritual blessing in Christ before you ever did a thing. And when he did that in you, we then have a responsibility, a debt of grace that we owe to overflow with that blessing into the lives of others. So live from the blessing, not just for the blessing. This blessing mentality produces a different way of living. This is what Jesus gets to in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Now, if you're still in Matthew chapter 5, go on down past the Beatitudes. And we're now understanding that we've got a blessed condition. Regardless of our external circumstances, we have an internal situation, an internal uh, place where we are, the blessed space. And now we have a responsibility, okay? Live from the blessing. Here's what Jesus calls to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand that it may give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We talk about how Jesus calls us to live as a result of the blessing. We, we understand first that he called us salt. The salt of the earth. And as salt of the earth, we primarily do two things. Okay? One is we preserve God's goodness. Now, you and I are living in an unfortunate age where we have refrigerators and electricity and, and all sorts of modern conveniences. So we don't quite understand what Jesus said when he said, you are the salt of the earth. What he's saying here is what salt did back in Jesus' day. You see, this past weekend, Don and Archie hosted uh, several hundred of us out to their place, as they do every year, and put on quite a spread. And they put all that meat that they had out there, Archie had been working on for several days. But see, Archie, before she started cooking it, just put that in the freezer or the refrigerator. But back in Jesus' day, she would have taken that meat and she would have coated it in salt back and forth and tried to keep it in a, in a dark cool place coated in salt. The purpose of the salt was to preserve the meat, to keep it from spoiling and going bad, to keep the rot away. Jesus calls us to be the salt and to preserve God's goodness in the world. That means that we have a responsibility for as evil and rotted as the world becomes to preserve God's goodness in God's world. And secondly, we're called to enhance God's word. Now, we know this one today. This is how we use salt, right? No matter what it is, most of the time, uh, if you pull it out, the way to enhance it just a little bit is to add a little salt or a little pepper. That salt enhances the flavor. It makes it better. It takes something that was maybe even was good, but it enhances it just a little bit more. It makes it better. You see, Christians are to do these two things. One, to preserve God's 
goodness, and number two, to enhance God's world. And you'll see this as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. In, in preserving God's goodness, Jesus says, don't hate, don't lust, don't cheat, don't lie, don't take revenge, don't do as the world does. But then he goes a step farther and he says, beyond just the things you don't do, I want you to do some things. I want you to love your enemies and pray for them. I want you to be faithful as you give your word to someone. I want you to go the extra mile when you don't have to. I want you to love your enemies. See, I want you to not just not do some things. I want you to do some things. I want you to preserve God's goodness, but I also want you to enhance God's world. Now, when we do that, we become the light of the world, as Jesus said. And we have only one responsibility here, and that is to shine brightly. Philippians chapter 2, Paul wrote, verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing. One of the provision of light people is that we ought to never complain or argue because we miss out on pointing people to all of the blessings that it means to be a child of God. If you're a constant complainer as a child of God, you need to repent. You're missing out on sharing and shining the light of Christ. But he goes on that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. I'll go back to our little uh, boat on the ocean and it's sitting there and it gets dark. And the only way before the time of GPS and modern technology to guide and and to make sure he was going the right direction was to look up and to look at the stars There are people in your life where if you don't shine brightly, they will not know the way to go. Our responsibility is to shine. The second idea of shining is understanding that light is very, very powerful. I, there are days when I just scroll through my phone and I'm I'm reading different news articles or different stories and I just have to put it down because I'm inundated with darkness and evil. It is depressing. When I think that this is the world that not only do I have to grow up in, but you have to grow up in, that my children have to grow up in, that their children will have to grow up in. Do I have any hope right now that it's getting any better? I do not. Every day I open that news app on my phone, I see darker and darker things. But you know what? There's a lesson that Jesus taught us when he said, you are the light of the world. He didn't say, you are the anti-darkness of the world. And sometimes Christians can get into that mode where we bemoan and, and preach against all the darkness going on in the world. And I'm not against that necessarily, but Jesus called it to a higher standard. He said, I want you to be the light. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how deep that darkness permeates the world, light overcomes. I need, to, I need to ask for a little help from our AV booth back there. I need you to make it dark in here, just as dark as you can. This is going to bother you people who are filling out little forms and worried about where we are in the sermon. I, but I need you to try to go ahead and, and shut off the projectors if you can. I want you to make it dark. I want you to go into the mode that it's going to happen tomorrow morning when you get up and you read the news. We are called to, sorry, there we go. Uh, We are called to be the light. 
And it's easy to become consumed and bemoan the darkness. But you understand that we can't make it perfectly dark in this room. The darker it gets, the brighter even the lightest light shines. You didn't notice the window as much before. You sure do now. You didn't notice the exit signs until all the light was gone away. God calls us to be the light. Jesus calls us to be the light because the light, no matter how small it is, is always more powerful than the darkness. If you got your phones out, I want you to help me out. I want you to pull your phone out and turn on this little light of mine. Somebody's got a nuclear camera over there. Nuts. Brothers, sisters, the world's going to get awfully dark. Jesus didn't say he was going to protect us from the darkness. He just called us to be the light. In fact, we teach our children to do just that, don't we? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it house lights back up. It's easy to let your light shine here. But what God calls us to do is let our light shine most brightly when the world is at its darkest. When we see uh, videos of babies being torn apart, when we see stories of our politicians and our leaders being in darkness, when we see schools and our children being uh, just absolutely exposed to all sorts of ungodliness and darkness, Jesus does not call us to be anti-darkness in any other way than to say, let your light shine. And more specifically, let his light shine in you. That we may remind a dark world that we have a God who is light and in him is no darkness at all. As we finish thinking about these things... We understand at the end of the chapter 5, not the end of chapter 5, but the end of this section, chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks the one of these least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is very clear here. Jesus is not against righteous living. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they didn't just carry their Bibles with them. They knew their Bibles. They had the verses memorized. They didn't just have them memorized. They wore them on their clothes. They didn't just wear them on their clothes. They debated them and discussed them and talked about them all the time. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, for as much as they did wrong, had some things right. The problem is the things that they had right were only visible on the outside. 
The things that they had right did not translate to any matters of their heart. Whenever they wanted to be uh, to do righteous things, it was only to be seen by men. They did right only when others were watching. And Jesus calls us to a walk that is consistent, that exceeds an outward list of rules, but penetrates into the insides to our hearts, to an inward show before our Father. Another way of saying this is your Saturday night behavior better line up pretty closely with your Sunday morning behavior. Jesus wants your outside to match your inside, your righteousness to be from the inside out, your walk to match your talk, and your walk to be genuine. Therefore, once we understand these things, once we understand who Christ has called us to be, that in Christ we are blessed, and that we live from the blessing instead of for the blessing, and once we live for and from the blessing... We are called to be the salt and the light. And once we know these things, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. I am tired of seeing Christians apologize for being Christians. We are the light and the salt of the world, not because of our goodness, not because of our light, not because of our salt, but because of his blessing which has changed us from the inside out. So may we learn to walk as Jesus called us to walk, and may we live as he has called us to live. You don't know what will happen tonight. What would happen if you died tonight or if Jesus came back? Well, I can prepare you for that. I can help you to know Jesus, your Lord. I can help you to know him By teaching you about him and helping you to repent of sin and confess him as Lord and put him on in baptism. But the real deep question is, what if you live tomorrow? What if you're in Christ, but you haven't been acting or walking like it? Today is a good day to start. And you can begin from repenting and praying right there in your pew. Or you can come down we'll meet with you and pray with you and help you in whatever way we can. But we want you to walk boldly. And to walk truly as if you're blessed, because indeed you are. If you have any need, please come. We await as together we stand and sing.